All right, Emmaus, if you want to take your Bible and turn to Proverbs chapter 3, and kids, pre-K through first grade, if you all want to head toward, uh, toward Elevate, toward Miss Courtney over that direction, you can go, go that way. Next week is first Sunday of the month, so first Sunday of each month, we don't have traditional Elevate, the kids will stay in here. Uh, staying here with us next week, and then the week after, there's a note at the bottom of the front part of your bulletin that lets you know we're going to have a special Elevate for second grade through sixth grade that day, if you want to take advantage of that. Parents, coming up on the 13th, uh, so just kind of a heads up about, about that coming. If you're a guest of ours, or if you've been coming to Emmaus for, for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, and you're looking for an opportunity just to hear more about what's happening at the church, kind of see what's going on, we have this coming Sunday, November the 6th, we have a free lunch after the morning service called Discover Emmaus. No obligation, you're not signing up for anything by coming to that lunch, it's just a way of saying, hey, I'd like to meet some of the staff members hear a little bit more about what's happening at the church, and we would love to have you be a part of that. If you can give us a heads up that you're coming, even if it's kind of 50-50, you're not sure, but you think you might be coming, if you could send us an email or fill out the form that's on our website, that would help us. But if you forget to do that, we still want you to be able to come uh, this, coming, this coming Sunday to be a part of that Discover, Discover Emmaus lunch. So this morning, we're continuing our study in the book of Proverbs we're not going to look a lot at Proverbs chapter 2. I uh, put a couple of notes on your bulletin if you just want to see kind of a quick summary of Proverbs chapter 2, but we're going to move in to Proverbs chapter 3. Um, I'm not, for lack of a better way of saying it, I'm not really playing at 100% this morning. I woke up not feeling particularly good. So if the sermon ends by me running off stage and Jim comes up here to pray, just fair warning that, that there's a possibility that might happen. I, I intend with everything in me uh, to, to make, it through, make it through the sermon this morning, but just know that we've got a game plan that if it, something goes, goes wrong. Uh, we're, we can, every once in a while we'll do those like uh, essential oils or things like that. Uh, a peppermint is supposed to, to be good, you know, to kind of calm you down. So I'm covered in peppermint this morning. I've been eating peppermint all morning, so I'm counting on, I'm counting on good things, but we'll, we'll see what happens. So, all right, with that said, with that warning given, Proverbs chapter 3, let's read verses 1 through 10 of, of that chapter. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let's pray this morning. 
Father, we pray again for our students who are on their fall retreat. God, I pray that the image of these empty seats up here at the front right would be a reminder to us of those teenagers and those adult volunteers who are seeking to know you more, to seek to know what it is to be holy and how to live that out in their lives. God, thank you for Jaron and his desire to lead them in that. Thank you for a church family who supports kids and supports teenagers and wants to be a part of seeing your kingdom continue to grow amongst us. And and God, so thank you for them. Father, guide us in our time of looking at this passage of Scripture this morning, that we would know what it is to live by faith and to live by wisdom and to hold those two together at all times. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So coming up this next Sunday, I mentioned the uh, Discover Emmaus lunch that's happening. Also this coming Sunday, we're going to have two, two primary times of prayer during our worship service. The first will obviously be for the elections uh, coming up on November 8th. Um, I know I haven't addressed publicly from the stage the issue of the elections. And if you say, I wonder what Owen thinks about that, next Sunday we'll be addressing that. I will... Everything will kind of be shaped in the sermon around, around that topic. And so figured, hey, nothing like waiting until two days before the election to go ahead and address what everybody's been thinking about all, all this time. But just thinking about Proverbs and what it looked like to pastor appropriately through this time, we are going to address that um, this, coming, this coming Sunday. Also, this coming Sunday is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And maybe there's no coincidence that we'll be praying about both of those things on, on the same day, but, but it's an international day of prayer for the persecuted church. And one of the stories that they're profiling this year for that international day of prayer is the Grunwald family from South Africa. This family in 2002 moved from South Africa from a very comfortable, stable life and they felt that the Lord was leading them to move with their two young children to Kabul, Afghanistan. So in 2002, they moved from, Kabul, or from South Africa to Kabul, Afghanistan. Werner, the dad, worked in training Christian leaders there in, uh, in Afghanistan. And Hannah Lee, the mom, worked as a medical missionary, so to speak. She was involved in clinics, doing medical work there in, in Afghanistan in that area. In November 2014, Taliban forces, local forces, broke into their home while Hannah Lee was at the clinic and killed the husband, the two kids, and two locals who were friends of theirs. So here's a mom left behind after a dad and both kids were killed. And so her story and all the aftermath of that story is being profiled by Voice of the Martyrs Organization, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. But what does it look like when you take a step of faith to move your family from stability, from prosperity in South Africa, and to move your family to the middle of Afghanistan, and the result of that is the loss of three lives of a dad and two kids? And in the aftermath of that, people started to ask, wow, that was a great step of faith, but was that really wise? And you see in that this tension that begins to develop. It's this tension between faith and wisdom. 
The second time that we were back in New Orleans, uh, my family and I, second time we went back to New Orleans, I was, when I was doing PhD work at the seminary, I was the financial aid director for the entire seminary uh, system. And so every, every semester, without fail, students, incoming students, would come into my office, the financial aid office, and they would sit down in front of me and they would have no way to pay for school. Now this killed me because my personality is to say yes to everybody, it's to fix everybody's problem, everybody's problems, and they would sit down there and they would have no way to pay for school. And so I would say, what are you, what are you gonna do? How, how did you plan to pay? And they said, we came on faith. We came believing that God would provide the money. So you have no money, you, you, you don't have anything, no. There were students who would show up, they loaded everything they had into their car, they would drive, to the seminary, no way to pay for school. So here I am sitting in front of them, and you don't wanna say, hey, don't have so much faith next time, because we realize Romans 14, 23 says that anything not done in faith is sin. Faith is at the core of what we believe in Christianity. It's at the very core. But then I would look at them and say, the people in the business office across the hallway, they love Jesus, they love you, but they can't cast your faith. And it hurt every time to say that because what I felt in my mind is I was putting faith on one side and wisdom on the other. And so we would have to have this conversation about how God has given us faith and we hold that in one hand and God's given us wisdom, we hold that in the other hand and the two are not meant to be opponents. They're not meant to be in opposition, they're meant to work together. This becomes real life when you start to make decisions as a couple, as a family. Usually in a marriage, not, it doesn't always work this way, usually in a marriage you have the one person who always wants to act by faith, doesn't, worry, doesn't matter if it makes sense, doesn't matter where we go, we're just gonna go, we're gonna go in faith, and then there's the other person that seems to always be putting on the brakes, they're the wisdom person, oh no, no, we can't do that, we've gotta be more cautious, and, and faith gets put out there as the super spiritual option, and wisdom gets put out there as the more worldly option, I'm just trying to make sure we stay stable and keep everything grounded. You feel the tension, right? You feel the tension between faith and wisdom. You start to make a decision in your life. Maybe you're gonna move to a new place. You're gonna move to a new job. And you're like, man, this is gonna take a lot of faith to do this. Is it a wise thing? You're coming together on Sunday morning for Big Give Day at Emmaus. And one family member says, Jesus said, sell everything and give it to the poor. We're just going to give everything we have. It doesn't matter what it takes. We're, we're paying off the entire loan by ourselves as a family. And then the other family member comes along and says, whoa, 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 we can't do that. What are we going to live on? And then the other person says, it doesn't matter. God's going to provide. And the other person says, come on, slow down here. And you go back and forth between faith and wisdom. How are faith and wisdom meant to fit together? What I want to show you this morning from Proverbs chapter 3 are a couple of ideas about how to navigate that because I don't know of anything more difficult in the Christian life than understanding how to navigate living by faith and living by wisdom and understanding that we have to have both of those. We have to keep both of those together. Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, My son, do not forget 
my teaching. Now we've seen this phrase, my son, before in the book of Proverbs. It's a key phrase in the book. In chapter three, my son shows up three times and it perfectly divides the chapter into three parts. So my son is the dividing factor in the chapter three. It kind of layers it into, into three parts and we're only looking at the first part because you notice we stopped reading in verse 10. Verse 11 repeats my son. It starts a different section. So we're just focusing on verses one through 10 right here. This is a key phrase, the same, hey, pay attention. This is something that you need to understand about how to live the life God's created you to live. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. The word heart is one of the dominant words in this chapter. Really throughout Proverbs, but, but especially in chapter three, this idea of the heart. And here's why that's so important. The reason it's so important is because sometimes we might think about the Christian life or we might think about wisdom and it gets put primarily in outward action terms. In other words, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But from the very beginning of chapter three here, we're reminded when it talks about the heart that the focus is on internal focus, internal attitude. It comes from the inside out. So when we think about up, in, out at Emmaus, worship, worshiping God, it's not just the act of worship, but it's a heart that is given over fully to God. When you think about in, I'm building relationships, I'm growing in my faith, it's not just the action of doing that, it's a heart in which your whole life feels involved with other believers, in which you're growing in your faith. Out, it's not just I go on mission trips and I give money, it's that my heart's in it. So from the very beginning here, Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 talks about above all else guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. In other words, sometimes we get so fixated on outward behavior, outward actions, that we lose sight of the heart. And Solomon reminds us here in Proverbs 3 that it comes from the inside out. It begins with the heart. But let your heart keep my commandments. And then look in verse 2. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Okay, now we're gonna see something here that is all throughout Proverbs and you find it many other times in the, in the scripture. And it's a difficult concept because what you have is you go back to verse one just again and just kind of read through here. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Okay, if you do those things, length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So do this and then this will result. Well, that's really good until someone doesn't have length of days or doesn't have years of life. What if you don't live a long time? Does that mean you weren't wise? Because it says here, if you don't forget my teaching, but you let your heart keep my commandments, you'll have length of days and years of life and peace. Well, what if you don't have that? Does it mean you weren't wise? Well, this is a really difficult topic, extremely difficult topic, and you're gonna see it repeated over and over again throughout these 10 verses here in chapter three. How do we understand this relationship between this exhortation to, to do this, to hold on to these teachings, hold on to these commandments with your heart, 
And then the result of that, which should be length of years and days. How do we understand that relationship? Well, there's a couple of things going on. The first is, when you read the book of Proverbs, you're not reading a bunch of math formulas. Sometimes we take Proverbs and we read them as if they're math formulas, and they're never meant to be read that way. They're not, they're not designed as math formulas. They're designed as guides for living. It says if you want to know who God is and how to live in his world, here's the guide for what that looks like. So we have to keep that in mind at the first. The second is to realize that all of the results that come out of these Proverbs, you can see it in verse two, in verse four, in verse six, you just keep going throughout chapter three. All of the results that come from these actions are results that we could never produce on our own. In other words, no matter how hard you try to be healthy, no matter how hard you try to live a good life, ultimately, the length of our life is not in our own hand. And as you go throughout all of these Proverbs, you see that the result of every one of these admonitions is something that we can never provide on our own. So what it's telling us is you focus on the first part, what the Lord is calling you to, and you trust him with the result that only he can provide. It's, for, it's forcing us to think about Proverbs in the context of a relationship. To say, all I can focus on is this first part that focuses me on my relationship and how I should be living in the world, and the Lord will take care of the second part. The illustration to make sense of this is from the New Testament, the story of the prodigal son who told his father, give me my inheritance, I'm gonna go off and live however I want. What that prodigal son wanted is he wanted the result, he wanted the inheritance, but he didn't want the relationship. He didn't want the foundation for it. And if you look here in Proverbs, oftentimes we want what's come second. We want length of days and years of life, but we don't necessarily want one comes first, which is to honor the Lord and to give ourselves to his commands. And so what these Proverbs are teaching us is give yourself fully to that relationship God will transform your life and he'll transform your life in such a way that you'll be able to receive those results however they might come into your life. But it's still a difficult question to make sense of. How do we make sense of the fact that Proverbs seems to present this idea as do this and this will result? At this point, I wanna help you out with something that's become very helpful for me. It's called the three J's of wisdom or the three J's of wisdom, faith, and suffering. And I know that things that are alliterated and like this can be really cheesy, but this is extremely helpful. This has been a game changer for me personally. The three J's of wisdom are Job, Jesus, and James. When you look throughout scripture and you think about wisdom, there are different places in the Bible that wisdom shows up. One of the places is obviously the book of Proverbs that we're looking at. Another form of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, though, is the book of Job. In the book of Job, what you find is you find conventional wisdom turned on its head. In other words, here's someone who fears the Lord. Here's someone who's being obedient to the Lord, keeping the Lord's commandments, and every possible thing seems to go, along, go wrong with Job's life. And yet Job can say, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. 
The book of Job is a form of wisdom literature that helps us to understand how to read the book of Proverbs so we don't turn it into formulas. We realize that it's more complicated than that, and the ancients realized it was more complicated than that. But when you fast forward to the New Testament, you run into the character of Jesus. If wisdom automatically led to an easy life, long years on the earth, and all of the wealth and prosperity of this world, Jesus completely destroys that mold. And we understand that, right? That, that when we see Jesus, we're not saying that he lacked faith. We're not saying that he lacked wisdom. And yet when we look at his life, his life is not characterized by length of years. His life is not characterized by ease. And so we're reminded again what wisdom looks like. One of the clearest examples of wisdom literature in the Bible is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 through 7, where he lays out these admonitions that don't seem to match up with worldly wisdom. He gives a way of living that doesn't seem to always make sense to us apart from understanding what it is to trust in him. And then you get to the book of James. The book of James is the New Testament version of wisdom literature from the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, you have Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. In the New Testament, you have the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives, and you have the book of James, which begins, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. So a book of wisdom literature in the New Testament begins by telling us you are going to face trials. So if we're ever tempted here in the book of Proverbs to read it and say, wait, 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 I thought if I followed the Lord, all I would have was length of days and peace and prosperity and everything would be good. No, that's not how it's meant to be read. What you find here is that when you do follow the Lord, he provides everything we need. He often provides good gifts as a result of that, and he also provides the strength to continue going because we realize that these things the Lord provides don't always come immediately. The problem we have in the book of Proverbs is we see the result of wisdom and we want it immediately. And the Lord says no part of wisdom is realizing, yes, I'll provide that, but it may not come immediately. And it may not even come in this life. It may be a part of the new creation. It may be a part of this transformation that I want to do in your life. You get a little bit of a help, though, at the end of verse 2. At the end of verse two, where it says, for length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. That word peace is the awesome Jewish word shalom. Uh, so it's not peace in the sense of no trouble in your life. It's not peace in the sense of absence of conflict. It's peace more in the wholeness idea, stability. The opposite of shalom would be brokenness. Something is not fitting together. Something is not whole. And so when you have this peace, you may have trials in your life. You may have difficulties in your life, but what you have is you have a unity, you have a wholeness, you have a stability to life that says, this is happening, but I will continue to trust in the Lord. So then you move to verse three, and you figure out why we can do that. Why can you trust in the Lord in the midst of this? Because it says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Within verse three, 
those words steadfast love and faithfulness, those are two of the most common descriptors of God, of Yahweh in the Old Testament. So what you're seeing is you're being called to have your life reflect the character of God. Let steadfast love and faithfulness never forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Those phrases are Deuteronomy chapter six and Jeremiah chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter six, we talked about a couple of weeks ago about this godly counsel, about teaching your children, about passing on wisdom. So you're being, you're being put back in that Deuteronomy six mindset. Jeremiah 31 is that the law of God would not be written on stone tablets, but it would be written on our heart. And remember, heart is the key word for the book, or for chapter three of Proverbs. It's this idea that we need God to so transform us from the inside out that it's not just something we read, but it's something that gets inside of us. It's something that changes us. So I'm looking to the Lord, to his character, and as I look to him, he's transforming from the inside out. What's the result of that? Verse four, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. In the New Testament, one of the few verses we get about Jesus' childhood is it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That we are called to love God, love God, and love others. It says here, when we live in wisdom, we'll have favor and find good success in the sight of God and man. Does that mean that everyone will like you and you will always be successful? No, because we've always already talked about the fact that these are not formulas. They're not designed as formulas, but they're designed to call us to the Lord, to trust in him, to have him transform our lives, and then for the results of that to be of his doing. And he will often guide us in this way. Verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Verse six, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now I know that the answer to this question is probably John three sixteen, but the first verse that I remember memorizing as a little kid was Proverbs three, five through six. I know John three sixteen probably came first in some vacation Bible school somewhere, but the first verse that I can still remember memorizing was Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, what it means to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, trust is helpful because here we have an example of an idea of faith, of trust, stuck in the middle of a wisdom passage. So we know what the writer is telling us. The writer is telling us that the most reasonable, wise way to live is to live by faith. If you're ever tempted to make faith and wisdom become enemies or become opponents, remember Proverbs 3, 5, that the most reasonable, the wisest way to live is to live by faith. But the word trust is kind of a funny word. It's one of those words, the word trust, that is neutral. In other words, it can be used in a negative way or it can be used in a positive way. In the negative way, in the Hebrew language, the word trust means reckless or, or out of control. It means you have so much confidence, you have so much um, 
yeah, I guess confidence is the best word, that you just become reckless. You just do anything, anytime, anywhere. It, it, it gives this idea of reckless. The positive form of the word trust is that you have bold confidence in God, that you trust that his way of living is better than your own way. So you're not gonna lean on your own understanding. You're not gonna be wise in your own eyes. You're going to trust in him. Faith, trust, it's not reckless living. It's not jumping off a cliff into the dark. It's not leaving behind critical thinking. That's, that's not biblical faith. Biblical wisdom is not common sense, and it's not American values, and it's not doing what seems to come easiest. And what we have to do is be so careful when we're talking about faith and we're talking about wisdom that we define those correctly because if we're not careful, we'll end up making faith this leap into the dark, just live by the seat of your pants, just do whatever comes to your mind, and we turn wisdom into worldly common sense. And you don't find either one of those in scripture. Wisdom is fear the Lord, trust him, obey him. Faith is there's more than what you can see. This isn't in the story. Put your trust fully in the Lord. And so we're always figuring out, God, how do I live by faith and how do I live by wisdom? One of the key phrases there, it says in verse five, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. That may be the most difficult phrase in the whole chapter. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So it's not have faith and then hedge your bets by making a backup plan. It's trust in the Lord completely. Give him all of yourself because that is the wisest, most reasonable thing you can do. And the result of it in verse six is what? It says, he will make straight your paths. Now that phrase, make straight your paths, it's not primarily talking about major life decisions. Though this concept does, if you have a major life decision to make, this concept of faith and wisdom is right at the heart of that. But make straight your paths is talking about daily living. It's talking about daily holiness, daily faithfulness. It's talking about believing that God's way of living every day is better than our own way of living every day. So when you hear make straight your paths, don't think about one-time decision as much as daily faithfulness. If you have a major decision to make in life, the best way you can prepare to make that, day, that big decision is daily faithfulness. Because at some point you're gonna have to say, what's the step of faith? What's the step of wisdom? A year ago this week, my family and I, like I said earlier, moved back to Oklahoma. Our decision to move to New Orleans many years ago at the beginning of our marriage was a step of faith that frankly didn't make a lot of sense to, to people around us. It didn't look particularly wise to people around us, but it was a step of faith that we, we knew we had to take. What I didn't anticipate was the move from the Gulf Coast back to Oklahoma was perceived by many people as a step of wisdom, but not really a step of faith. Now, this is gonna sound self-justifying, and, and I'll just have to leave it at that. But the move from the Gulf Coast back to Oklahoma for Amanda and I took more faith 
than our move even down to New Orleans. And, and I know I, I hear on the surface of that, that sounds self-justifying, but I wanna make the point that when we think about these decisions we have to make in life and how do we balance faith and how do we balance wisdom, we're not talking about one decision in life took faith and one decision in life took wisdom. They're meant to go together. They're always meant to be held together. Lord, what is the step of faith you're calling to me? What are you calling me to do that I can never do on my own? And what's the wise thing here? What forces me to trust that your way is right, not my own way? And we're always trying to say, Lord, help me understand how to keep those together. And we'll talk here in a couple of minutes at the end about a couple of ideas for doing that. Really quickly, let's look at verses 7 through 10, because my peppermint may be wearing off. So, um, verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Great phrase to underline in the book of Proverbs. It kind of sums up a lot of things in the book of Proverbs. Be not wise in your own eyes. It means the same thing as do not lean on your understanding. Be not wise. Fear the Lord. Turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Man, do you see how hard this is? Like verse after verse, this keeps coming back. If you'll do this then it will be healing to your flesh and bring refreshment to your bones. Well, what, what happens when you get sick? What happens when good, wise, faithful Christian people die early in life, what seems to be way too young? Did they not have faith? Did, did they not have wisdom? Is, is that what's going on here? No, we've established this over and over and over again. That's, we're not talking about math formulas, but we still have to make sense of, of what's happening here. What's happening here is there is a yearning among the people for health. And this yearning we have for long days, many years, healthful bodies to be able to do things, what it really is, it's a yearning to be able to live fully the life that God has created us to live. When you have a yearning to say, man, I wish I was healthy, and the next phrase is so that I could serve the Lord fully, you know that you're right at the heart of what this verse is about. When you say, man, I wish I was healthy so I could really live it up for myself, you realize we completely missed the point of this verse right here. This verse here says, I'm healthy. Thank you, Lord. Let me make the most of it. I'm sick. I'm on the edge of, the, edge of death. Lord, I trust you. I believe that you will heal my body ultimately in the new creation through the power of the resurrection. So I have health. Thank you, God. Let me use it fully. I don't have health. Lord, I trust you. I know you're at work, and I will continue to be faithful to you. Transform me. Use me. I trust that this isn't the end of the story. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. You ever wondered about the health and wealth gospel? Proverbs 3, 7 through 10. First it's about health, and then verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine or grape juice if you're Southern Baptist and you struggle with that. So uh, it, it always hurts when the Bible cuts against your preconceived ideas and traditions. But uh, uh, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Once again, if I do verse nine, then I should be wealthy. But I'm not wealthy, so does that mean I didn't do verse nine? You, oh, man, you see this tension that just comes up over and over again in this passage. But just like health, 
it would be possible for our barns to be filled and our hearts not be given over fully to the Lord. Jesus tells an incredible story in the New Testament, in the book of Luke, about a man whose barns were filled. And you know what that man said? He said, wow, look at all I have. I need to build bigger barns to be able to put all this stuff in there. And Jesus turns around and says, you missed the point. And your life is going to be required of you this very day. You thought that it was about years and building up and having a full barn, not realizing that what I wanted was for you to give your heart fully to me. So just like with health, if I have money, Lord, thank you, let me use it for you. If I don't have money, Lord, I trust you, I know you can provide, I know you're at work, I will continue to be faithful. It's not about the second half because that's something that the Lord takes care of, that's something that he provides. It's good to be wise, and oftentimes that does lead to wealth. But it's also good to be wise because sometimes we don't have the wealth, and so we continue to be faithful to the Lord. Let me give you a couple of ideas about what to do when faith and wisdom collide, when they, they don't seem to fit together. The first, make sure you define faith and wisdom carefully. So you're sitting down with uh, with one of your kids or your grandkids and they're ready to move to the Middle East to take the gospel to people who have never heard. You're going to have faith and wisdom collide uh, at that moment. You sit down with your spouse and they're ready to move somewhere else because of an opportunity or because they feel like the Lord's calling them somewhere else and you feel like, oh, I'm not really sure about that. Let me assure you, faith and wisdom are going to collide at that, at that moment. At that moment, do not fall into the trap of making faith on one side, wisdom on the other side, and they come into competition. I hope if you've heard nothing else this morning, you've heard we have to hold on to both. We live by faith and we live by wisdom, and those two are always working together. They're always held together. Make sure we're defining those things biblically. Number two, Seek the discernment of the Holy Spirit through Scripture and through the church. I probably said at least five times this morning, these Proverbs are not formulas. So if you think, Owen, please just tell me what to do. We just, we just, we just need to know what to do. I don't, I don't, it doesn't work that way. It is discernment of the Holy Spirit as you're in the Word, studying the Word, reading Scripture, and as you're involved with other believers. These are decisions that are meant to be made in community. As you have people around you who say, hey, let me speak into your life. Let me tell you what I see. Let me tell you how I've dealt with this before. When you're talking about starting a relationship, when you're talking about starting a new job, when you're talking about starting school, starting a family, those are types of decisions that were never meant to be made solo. Bring people in who can speak into your life, who can help you understand the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Where does faith come into play? Where does wisdom come into play? Number three, avoid being swayed by short-term selfish motives. Faith is always the fight to believe that God's wisdom is what's best for my life. And so I'm always saying, I know what feels good right now. I know what feels right right now. But what about a few years down the road? So my kid comes up to me at some point and says, hey, I want to move off somewhere. 
Short term, I'm like, oh man, I don't want to keep them here. But long term, where does that lead to? What's good for the gospel? What's good for the kingdom? You're always battling through these short term, long term situations. Number four, focus on daily faithfulness and caring for others. In the midst of these times that you're trying to keep faith and wisdom together, just be faithful day by day, living by faith, living by wisdom. And when you have something like this happening in your life, it's easy to become inwardly focused. Care for others, focus on others, remain focused on how you can serve those around you. Number five, take responsibility for actions. Okay, here's what I mean by this. This is me at the financial aid desk at the seminary. Student shows up, can't pay for school, has no plan to pay for school, their only plan is faith. I'm not gonna belittle that, I'm not gonna speak down to that. I love the fact that they took that step of faith. Equally so, that person also has to take responsibility for those actions. So if you believe with all of your heart that the Lord is leading you to take a huge step of faith, then by all means, take that step of faith and take responsibility for the fact that, hey, you know what? Life may have gotten really hard all of a sudden. So if I have a student sitting in front of me at the financial aid office and they took a step of faith and equally so they're able to take responsibility for their actions, it's a lot easier to begin to have good conversations and make decisions at that point versus there's a form of faith in the Christian life that says I'm gonna live by faith and everybody else is gonna support me. Um, I'm gonna live by faith and everybody else is gonna hold my hand and carry me. That's not biblical faith. You're going one way and you're losing this integration between faith and wisdom. We've got to always be cautious about how we're, how we're walking that road. Finally, and we'll wrap up with this. Finally, find stability in God's character, the one who is completely trustworthy, the one who knows all things, who is all good and all wise and all loving, and find stability in the victory of Christ to know that whatever we are facing in life, no matter what we come up against, we have faith in him to believe that he has defeated sin, that he has defeated death, and that he is always with us. And so as you leave today, I hope this idea of faith and wisdom being kept together is good for your Christian life. I hope it's good for your heart. I hope it's useful for you and your family and your friends. But beyond all of that, do not miss that the only reason any of this is possible is because of the victory of Jesus Christ. And if we want the result without the relationship, we miss the whole point of the book of Proverbs. Above all else, establish your relationship with Jesus Christ, and from that will come the faith and wisdom to live the life that he's created you to live. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of corporate worship. Thank you for a church family that's gathered together to encourage one another, to seem together, ready and willing to study scripture together. Father, thank you for what that means. God, continue to lead us in the days ahead. God, I pray for those here this morning who are battling between faith and wisdom and trying to understand what it is to live the life that you've called us to live God, I pray for Emmaus right now that our future would be defined by faith. God, you have brought this church to this point 
through so many people, through so many roads, through so much of your faithfulness. God, let us walk by faith in the days ahead. And equally so, God, let us be a place of biblical wisdom, not living by common sense, not living by American values, but living by biblical wisdom according to your spirit. God, continue to do that work to transform us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.